Pastor David Jones. Welcome to my sermon archives. For more audio sermons, books, blog posts, and other goodies, visit www.pastordavidwentz.com. That's spelled W-E-N-T-Z. And follow me on Facebook or LinkedIn. I pray God speaks to you as you listen. Let's start with our key verse found in the bulletin. Ephesians 1.3 All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ. Ephesians 1.3 Ephesians is my favorite book of the Bible. I mean, I love all of the Bible. It's all God's word in every Part of it has things that are intended to bless us, instruct us, encourage us, correct us, prepare our eternal souls for eternity. But all of us have different favorites out of things that are good. I mean, there are all kinds of foods that are good, but all of us have a particular favorite, all kinds of Ice cream flavors that are good, but probably we all have a particular one or two favorite. And for me, my particular favorite book of the Bible is the Apostle Paul's letter to the Ephesians. So what I want to do starting today and going however long it takes is just kind of go through the book of Ephesians, see what it has to say, what the principles are that it is teaching and how they apply to us in our modern situation, in our current life. Ephesians, uh, and for those that would like to follow along, because uh, I'm going to just kind of be reading through it and commenting on it, if you have your own Bible with you or if you have one of these large print pew Bibles in your pew. There should be one or two in every pew. If you want to follow along, it starts on page 1817 of the Black Bibles. That is an excellent translation known as the New International Version. I typically use the New Living Translation for... Uh, scripture readings and preaching because it's just slightly more understandable modern English for for many people. But uh, I think that it's really instructive to look at two different translations at the same time. We'll kind of be doing that as we go through. So if you want to follow along, if you want to get one of those uh, big black Bibles and turn to page 1817, uh, you're welcome to do that. The, the letter to the Ephesians was actually a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to a number of churches in Western Turkey. And so it didn't apply just to the specific situation of one congregation. It applied to a number of them. And he, he asked that he basically sent the same copies of the same letter to a number of different congregations. And the one that was preserved that uh, came down to us happened to be the one that was sent to the church in Ephesus. And Paul wrote it 
toward the end of his ministry, after he had been a, uh, a, a missionary for the Lord for probably 20 years or more, and he had been arrested. You can read about that in the book of Acts. And he was in jail in Rome. He was there for two years. Actually, he wasn't in jail. He was in house arrest. Uh, so he was able to be in a, a home. Um, and he wrote that at that time. And so what I want to do is go through kind of verse by verse. This letter is from Paul. I'm reading from the New Living Translation. Chosen by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus. Now Paul was one who uh, started out, he was a, a Jewish scribe, he was an extremely religious Pharisee. Paul was one of the Pharisees. And you remember how Jesus didn't have a whole lot of good things to say about a lot of the Pharisees. Because a lot of them, all the Pharisees were very legalistic. They were very strong on the Bible. They were fundamentalist Bible believers and uh, of the Old Testament Bible. But not just the Bible. They were kind of fundamentalist on all the particular interpretations that had been passed down. And when Jesus came down on them, he was not coming down on them for being fundamentalist about the Bible. Jesus himself believed in the, uh, you can tell from the way he quoted the Old Testament, he believed in the uh, inerrancy and inspiration of the Bible. But what he was coming down on was all the additional interpretations and man-made rules. Uh, and at that time, uh, there were no women rabbis, so there wouldn't have been any woman-made rules. These were all man-made rules that um, took God's message from the Bible beyond. And so that's why Jesus came down on the Pharisees. But Paul, whose name at that time was Saul, was one of the foremost young scholars of the Bible. He was a rising star in Judaism. He probably, if he kept on, almost certainly would have wound up being a member of the Sanhedrin, which was the 70-member ruling council. He was, if you read in the book of Acts, he was so... Uh, zealous for his traditional interpretation of Judaism that when Christianity came along, he saw it as a heretical cult that was leading people away from God. And so he became very, very, uh, almost fanatically uh, concerned that this not happen and that he cleanse and purge Judaism of this terrible false teaching as he understood it to be. And so he was one of those that was behind the, uh, the persecution of the Christians. And if you remember the story in the book of Acts, he had pretty much wiped out the church in Jerusalem and God used that actually to spread the gospel because until that time the the Jerusalem church was the only church there was but when the persecution started the Christians started fleeing Jerusalem and going to other places and carrying the message with them and God began to use that to to spread the gospel out into other places but Paul had pretty much cleaned up all of the people or Saul as he was known 
in Jerusalem, cleaned up all the Christians. And so he got authority from the high priest to go to Damascus because apparently a lot of the Christians had fled to Damascus. So he got authority to go there and throw them in jail. And he was on his trip there when Jesus appeared to him and said, no, you, you got it wrong. I appreciate your zeal. You know, I appreciate your enthusiasm, but, but the one that you've been persecuting really is the Messiah. I really am the Messiah. And so Saul was converted and immediately started going around and preaching that Jesus was the Messiah. This is the one who later God made him the apostle to the Gentiles, to the non-Jewish peoples. And so he took the Greek form of his name, Paul. And that's how we know him as the Apostle Paul. So Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. Now, he was not one of the first 12 apostles that Jesus chose. Paul never saw Jesus in the flesh, as far as we know, or at least it's not recorded. I mean, he may have been one of the Pharisees standing on the sidelines on Palm Sunday and saying terrible things about this imposter who was riding a donkey down the road, but he was not a follower of Jesus at the time. So he was not one of the original 12 apostles of Jesus. He was one of the additional apostles, and we'll be getting into that when we get into uh, chapter 4 of Ephesians. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, or chosen by the will of God. And he goes on and he says to the saints in Ephesus, or in the, the NLT says, I'm writing to God's holy people in Ephesus. So the saints, he's not just writing to all the ones that have special days on the calendar or have churches named after them. You know, Saint this and Saint that and Saint the other. He's writing to all of the Christians who are faithful followers of Jesus in Ephesus. I'm writing to God's holy people in Ephesus who are faithful followers of Christ Jesus. If you are a just-for-the-looks-of-it follower of Christ Jesus, he's not writing to you, and he doesn't consider you one of God's holy people or one of the saints. If you are one who goes through the religious motions of being in church in hopes of controlling or manipulating God or getting him to do something for you or getting him to not do something to you, as we talked about last week, then that's not who he's writing to. But if you are a faithful follower of Jesus, if you are faithful in Christ, in other words, if you're doing your best to follow Jesus and be a good Christian, then that's who this letter is written to. And this letter is written to you and you can claim all the promises and you can take all the things that it says in here as applying to you, including the fact that if you are really trying to follow Jesus, trying to be a faithful follower, then you are one of God's holy people. 
Holy means set apart for His purpose. If you have set yourself apart to follow Him, then God considers you holy. He considers you a saint. And I hope and trust and believe that every person in this room is one of the saints. And so it could just as easily have been written, I'm writing to God's holy people in eminence who are faithful followers of Christ Jesus. And some of you look at that and say, Christ Jesus. Well, I thought his name was Jesus Christ. Isn't Jesus his first name and Christ his last name? Well, no, that's not the case. Uh, and I think most of you understand that. But a lot of people are confused by that. It's not like uh, when Mary married Joseph, it, it became Mr. and Mrs. Christ and their little boy Jesus. That's not the way it worked. Christ was a title, which was the Greek version of the Hebrew word Messiah which means the anointed one of God, the one that God had set aside and, and promised. So faithful followers of Jesus, the Messiah. May God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. God, our Father. If you are a faithful follower of Jesus, then God is our, your Father. If you are not a faithful follower of Jesus, God is your creator. But the Bible says that those who accept him receive the right to become children of God. So God is the father of all those who have accepted and, uh, his offer of adoption into the family and received that right. And again, I... Trust and hope and believe that that applies to all of us. We here and all who are faithful followers of Christ Jesus can call God our Father. May God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now what does Lord mean? Well, it means master. In the old Days of the knights in shining armor, they would kneel before the king or the baron, whoever, and they would pledge their fealty to the lord of the castle. And they would say, yes, my lord. And what it basically meant was, "You, I'm giving you authority to tell me what to do. When we say the Lord Jesus Christ, we are acknowledging that he is the Lord, he is the master, he has the power over all things. And we are also saying that we are acknowledging him as our own personal Lord. When I call Jesus my Lord, I'm saying then that I acknowledge that he has the right to tell me what to do with my time, with my money, with my thoughts, he is in charge of me because first he created me and then second he bought me back when because of Adam and Eve's sin and because of my own I had strayed away from him. If you are a faithful follower of Jesus then you acknowledge that he is your Lord. So may God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. That is Paul's opening prayer. And pretty much the rest of the book expands on that. 
how to access and receive and appropriate that grace and peace. Now, we all know what peace is, and it's not just absence of conflict, but it's, a, it's feeling good. It's feeling at rest. It's, it comes from knowing that everything's going to be all right. And usually the, the most uh, effective way of knowing that is that somebody much stronger and more knowledgeable and more capable than us is taking care of things for us. And that's God. And so we have that peace. Grace is a little different word, and it's one that, quite frankly, I've never quite wrapped my head around, the full meaning of grace. You may have heard it as an acronym, God's riches at Christ's expense, G-R-A-C-E, meaning God gives it to us free. There's nothing we can do to earn it or pay for it. Jesus already paid for it. But grace, in effect, basically means if you give somebody a little grace, it's kind of giving them a little slack. It's not holding them too tight. It's, it's if they mess up, you give them a little grace and you let them try again. You don't come down too hard on them. That's what God does for us, or at least that's, I praise the Lord that that is a big part of what he does for us. In forgiveness, he gives me grace when I mess up. And so Paul's prayer is, may God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. And now we come to our key verse. All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ. Paul is saying that God has done something that is worthy of our praise. And what he has done, God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, and I'm not going to get into the whole what that says about the, the relationship between God and Jesus and the Holy Spirit and the Trinity and all of that. But if God is our Father and God is also Jesus' Father, then that means in some ways Jesus is our brother. And we're like, we are to become like our big brother Jesus. We'll be talking about that again in chapter 4. All praise to God. Why? Who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms. Or in the NIV, it says it reverses a little bit. Who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Now, has blessed us. Okay, what, what tense is that in, in English? I mean, I'm not talking about, you know, those real technical terms, the fourth pronominal adverbial thingamajig, you know. But this is, is it something that's going to happen in the future? Has blessed us? Or has it already happened? It's past tense. It is a past, some kind of a past tense. It's already happened. We are already blessed. We have already been blessed. And the way that it says has blessed us means it's not one of those things that just happened once and 
it happened then and the effects happened then and it doesn't have any effect on us now. It's one of those things that happened then and the effects of it continue on now. We were blessed. There was a time when we got blessed, okay? When you became a Christian, you moved into the blessing. You were blessed. And those blessings were never removed. We are living now in a state of being blessed. You have been blessed. You have been given freely. It has been bestowed upon you. What's been given to us? What has been blessed? Every spiritual blessing. Every spiritual blessing. So, what do we still need? If we've already been given every spiritual blessing, what do we still need? I don't want any unspiritual blessings. So it's not like we have to beg God to give us something, to bless us with something. He's already blessed us with every spiritual blessing. So if it is there, it's like it was put into our bank account. It's like one of those automatic uh, deposits that's been put in there. Now I just need to, figure out how to get it out, how to access it, how to use it for the purpose for which God gave it to us, which is to bless us and bless the world. Well, if God has already blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms, that means he didn't hold anything back. Everything he's got, he gave to us. You remember the story of the prodigal son. Everything the father had. He said to the older son, everything I have is yours. It's already there. The older son said, you'll remember the story. The younger son got his half of the blessing, went off and, and wasted it and came back and asked if he could get a job, if he could be hired on as one of the hired hands because he knew he'd already wasted his inheritance and his father welcomed him back and said, oh, you're my son, come on in. And the older son said, you had this big party for me. You never even gave me an old goat to, to celebrate with my friends. And, and the father said, everything I have is yours. You just haven't used it. Every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms, every spiritual blessing God has is ours. Book of James says you don't have because you don't ask. Or if you ask, you're asking for the wrong reasons. If God has already blessed us with every spiritual blessing, I'd say that's a reason to praise him, right? All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms because we came to church. Is that what it says? Because we put more money in the offering plate than the next person. Is that what it says? Because 
we checked off all of the, the uh, spiritual requirements and jumped through all the spiritual hoops. Is that what it says? No. God has blessed us with all of this because we are united with Christ. Because we are united with Christ. In the NIV, it says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. So we are in Christ. That is another way of saying we have taken him as our Lord. We have become Members of the family of God, we are in Christ. Jesus said, abide in me and let my words abide in you. So as we are in Christ and God blesses Christ, then we get blessed. The kids, while we were driving in to work uh, to, to church this morning, Raleigh asked if when she was a baby and she was inside her mommy and mommy went to work, did she go to work too? And we said, yeah. We said mommy didn't take her out and put her on a shelf and go to work and then come back and put her back in. Wherever mommy went, whatever happened to mommy, happened to her while she was in mommy. If you are in Christ Jesus, whatever happens, wherever he goes, the blessings that he get are yours also. Look at it another way. The Bible says that we are the body of Christ. Okay, if I get a blessing, if something good happens to me, does it also happen to my body? Well, of course. If I get to go floating down the river and have just a wonderful day, didn't that happen to my body? Didn't that happen to every part of my body? My big toe, my little toe? That spleen that I talked about a couple of weeks ago that I still don't know what it does. If you are in Christ and Christ is blessed, all the blessings are yours. Even before, verse 4, even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. He chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight, in love. Even before God made the world, he knew all this was going to happen. He knew Adam and Eve would fall. He knew Jesus would have to come and pay the price. He knew that people would choose to accept Jesus. And others would choose not to. And he prepared that this for all those who chose to accept Jesus. Those to be in him. Even before he made the world, he loved us. And he chose us in Christ. Now that doesn't mean he arbitrarily chose certain individuals to be in Christ and others not. It means those in Christ he chose. If you choose to be part of this group in Jesus, then all of these other things happen to you. To be holy and without fault in his eyes. Now, does that mean he can't tell when we've sinned or made a mistake? Of course not. It means 
The blood of Jesus is applied. It wipes it out. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. And it should give us great pleasure to acknowledge that by the grace of God, see, we can't claim any credit for it because we couldn't choose Jesus if God didn't make it possible. But there is still a major element of our own choosing. Joshua said, choose this day whom you will serve. If we have chosen Jesus by the grace of God, if we are doing our best to be faithful followers of Jesus, then we already have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms. And our job now is to learn to access that, as I said, to appropriate, to make use of those spiritual supplies and resources not for our own good and our own aggrandizement, but to carry on the purpose of why he made us, which is to go invite everybody else to be a part of it too and bring as many people as possible into Christ so that all these blessings to apply that apply to those who are in Christ apply to as many people as possible. God wants it to apply to all the world, but he won't force anybody to accept it. And so that's what we'll be looking at as we go on through the book of Ephesians and see how we can use these spiritual blessings to carry out the blessings of God. There's a, a phrase, blessed to be a blessing. We carry on the blessings. We pass on the blessings to others. So as we close, I want you to be thinking about how many of these spiritual blessings you are accessing in your life. How many of them do you even know? There may be blessings you're not even aware of. And how are you using them to pass on to other people so that they can be blessed and be a blessing and pass it on to other people? Let's say our key verse one more time. Ephesians 1.3 All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ. Ephesians 1.3 it blessed you. Again, I'm Pastor David Wentz, and for more audio sermons, books, blog posts, and other goodies, please visit www.pastordavidwentz.com. That's spelled W-E-N-T-Z. And follow me on Facebook or LinkedIn. May God bless you as we do Christianity together. See you next time.